Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. Trevor Magnotti, and this is the Thick Jacked Frames podcast, Fear the Swords NBA Draft podcast. The 2019 NBA Draft is 14 weeks away now, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are set to pick third and 25th as we record today on Wednesday morning. Man, that Rockets pick just keeps drifting further and further down the board, doesn't it? Shorter podcast today as we're just doing a prospect of the week breakdown with the NCAA tournament coming this week. We're recording this early and posting on Monday and we'll have a longer NCAA tournament preview hopefully on Wednesday with a guest host to break down the important matchups of the first weekend. So definitely keep an eye out for that. But to make it worth it for you today, we're going to focus in on one of the prospects that I've been highest on for the Cavaliers to take all year. If the Cavs miss out on Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, likely meaning that they don't end up with a top two pick, there's one player that I've consistently advocated for the team taking, and that's Jarrett Culver of Texas Tech. The sophomore forward doesn't have the highest profile, well behind John Morant and possibly even Cam Reddish in terms of clout among the mainstream draft coverage, but he's honestly the best fit in the Cavaliers that doesn't play at Duke. So we're going to spend some time today breaking down why I'm so high on him and kind of what the projections for his game are going to end up being. So we normally start off with measurables for these players, give you the height, the weight, the wingspan, but that's kind of a to-be-determined thing with Culver. Culver's listed coming into the year at six foot seven, 195 pounds with a 6'10 wingspan. Those numbers are coming from the Stepien's draft profile of him. But there has definitely been talk of Culver being a lot taller than 6'7". Anytime you watch him out on the floor, he very obviously looks at least an inch, maybe two or three inches taller than his listed height. He did play probably at about 6'5", 6'6", last last year. And this year you can tell he's noticeably taller, may have gotten a little longer as well. So he's a guy that's going to really be important to watch at the NBA Draft Combine because if he measures out at 6'9", or 6'10", even, and has a little bit longer wingspan than that 6'10", it opens up so much more possibility for what he can end up being based on what his skill set is and what his athletic profile is. So we're going to keep an, a pin on that, and we're going to keep an eye on him in the combine because what his eventual measurements end up being are going to dictate a lot of what his higher-end ceiling end up being. The stats we can give you, however, that is pretty simple. He's averaging 31.9 minutes per game, 18.3 points, 6.2 rebounds, 3.6 assists, and 1.2 steals. He's shooting 44.8% from the field, 33.8% from three, and 70.1% from the line. So the shooting splits don't jump out off the page at you, but we'll get into a little bit of what his skill set looks like in terms of shooting 
representative game. If you want to go back and watch everything that Jarrett Culver is, positive and negative, a good opportunity to do that is the game that Texas Tech played at Kansas State. Um, he averaged, or he put up six of 16 shooting for 17 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and five steals in that game. And it's one of the better opportunities to see him both as a creator and an off-ball player. So that game is from January 22nd. It was a Texas Tech loss, um, but it's a good opportunity to see kind of the overall picture with Culver. Let's get into his offensive game, which is where a lot of his ceiling outcome ends up being derived. Um, he's, he plays primarily as a wing for Texas Tech, doesn't have a ton of ball handling responsibility, but one of his biggest strengths is his ability to consistently get to the rim and finish there. Um, he's over a 60% finisher at the rim on the year, and he has really, really good touch. Um, is able to hit shots from a variety of different angles, is good with both hands, a little bit better with his dominant right hand than his left, but is a capable left-handed finisher as well. Um, and he does some things that really project well to the NBA level in terms of finishing. He has really good shake with his handle. He's able to get guys off balance with subtle little moves, has a good crossover um, and good control of his body changing directions smaller guys will just kind of bounce off of him when he's going to the rim uh, because of his build and he has really good control of the ball there are a couple games where texas tech played against some good rim protectors the texas game stands out um, against jackson hayes because even when he's bothered by an NBA-level rim protector, which Hayes is, he still does a good job of keeping the ball under control, keeping it within his possession, even when the opponent gets hands on the ball and, and attempts to dislodge it. And he does a really good job of still powering through that to get to the rim. He doesn't have great extension. He's not able to kind of drop the ball over the top of guys. But he does a good job of still kind of powering through and keeping the ball on a trajectory towards the rim when, when he gets there. So I'm really optimistic about his ability as a finisher, both off secondary options like as a cutter and as a primary guy going towards the rim off the dribble because he has such a good handle and that body control I think that he's going to end up being a very good player there um, he's also a very good screen setter which is good for his size um, means that he's probably going to be able to be used as like a three or four uh, as a secondary pick and roll guy as a screener um, his ability to gather off the, off the catch going towards the rim on cuts I think projects well to being able to do that as a roll man um, and he has good footwork flaring to the three-point line so I'm optimistic about his use as a screener as well we've seen before with LeBron James that having a guy that can be a ball handler and screener in the pick and roll is one of the most valuable things that you can be on, on the offensive end. And I think that he's a guy that's going to work at a very high level in both of those aspects. And I'm also going to put his body development under here as an offensive strength because if he continues to fill out strength-wise and he continues to 
uh, fill into his growth that he's apparently had. I think that he's a guy that's going to eventually be able to play anywhere from the two to playing as a small ball five in certain lineups. And I think that versatility, because of his skill set and because of the development that his body could potentially go under as he gets into into the league, I think that he's going to be a guy that's valuable in pretty much any role that you put him in on the floor. And that versatility is going to be one of the major drawing points to me. Now, it's not all rosy on the offensive end. There are some definite uh, issues here, the biggest of which is his jumper, which is definitely, I would put it as work in progress. It's not anything that's broken, but he definitely needs some continued work. He has put a lot of work in as a three-point shooter so far in his career. He is a career 362 percent three-point shooter, really had a rough stretch shooting the ball as he came into the college setting and had an early hot streak this year looked really good in non-conference play but in conference play really cooled off um he had a couple months where he was under 30 percent as a three-point shooter and that's not optimistic but I think that there is work that can be done the major issues that I see with his jumper are the fact that he doesn't use kind of the sweep and sway techniques that you see a lot of high-level shooters use to be able to bring the ball up efficiently after he catches it into the shooting pocket. I don't think that he has a very efficient gather um, getting up into the jumper. I think that he still could get a little bit more lift out of his lower body and could use input from his lower body a little bit more. Um, And he really just needs to tighten up his pull-up mechanics in particular. He's too slow transitioning from dribbling to shooting. And that's going to be something that really needs to get tightened up if he's actually going to be like a thriving ball handler at the at the NBA level. Um I think I think that he eventually is going to be at least a capable spot up shooter. He's definitely willing. I mean he has 124 three point attempts this year, which is which is great. He's over 250 for his career as a sophomore, which is a good volume and, and you like to see that level of confidence and he does it both from catch and shoot and pull up. So that those are all great. Um, he just needs a little bit more work and I think that the jumper will get there to the point where it's at least functional. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's a non-shooter at the NBA level. The other big thing that he needs to work through is he is very indecisive as a primary option. When he is the primary ball handler for Texas Tech, he really struggles to string moves together. And it's not a thing like R.J. Barrett, where Barrett really can't transition from one thing to another. With Culver, you can just really tell that he is thinking a little bit too much as he tries to do that. He's really processing at a little bit of a slower pace than guys who are natural primary options do. I mean, Colin Sexton makes mistakes, but he makes them quickly and decisively. And with Culver, it's kind of the opposite thing, where he rarely makes a bad decision with the ball. It's just he doesn't string things together quick enough to really take advantage of the defense being out of set. And I think that defenses are going to be able to recover against him as a primary option, at least in his first few years in the league. And he's going to really struggle not having things like screens or off ball actions to distract and, and throw the defense off balance if he's going to be a creator. 
So we'll kind of we'll kind of bring that all together when we get into projection and kind of how that could take shape. But first, we need to talk about the thing that sets his floor, the thing that is making him a sure top ten prospect and probable probable rotation player at the NBA level, and that's his defense. Um, Culver plays at Texas Tech, and Texas Tech has one of the best defenses in college basketball, one of the best reputations there, and he's one of the guys that makes that happen. Um, he is a great off-ball communicator. As a sophomore, you like to see better defensive capability than you see from freshmen, but you don't expect to see guys kind of play at the NBA level on the mental aspect of things like you would from a junior or senior. With Culver, he's already there. Um, he's a guy who is consistently able to communicate switches, um, is able to yell out commands to guys who are on the opposite side of the court, um, is really engaged off ball and really does a good job switching and defending through screens and off ball actions, which is all very important for him. With his size, he needs to be a guy that is going to be a switchable defender at the NBA level. And I definitely think that he's going to be able to do that. Being in a switch defense like Texas Tech definitely helps but I think that he's he's going to have an easier time transitioning defensively than a lot of other prospects at the top of this draft um, his motor is very good he stays engaged he finishes plays that's all very good um, and I think that his balance and coordination are really exciting um, he is a very good player fighting through screens and he does a really good job of staying on top of a uh, offensive creator that's trying to throw him off balance and I think that that's going to continue to improve as he grows into his body so I, I think there's a good chance that he is a phenomenal switch defender at the NBA level he also offers some weak side rim protection value um, he's not like a true shot blocker but he does a good job contesting shots from the weak side um, he'll dig down on on the post and doubles pretty well um, he does a good job of kind of undercutting bigs as they roll to the rim and I think that that's that's really valuable a couple uh, quibbles with his defensive game biggest of which is probably his closeouts could need a little bit of work he kind of closes out a little bit flat-footed, um, isn't decisive with kind of stay, staying on top of the shooter as he as he closes out and really tries to avoid fouling, it kind of looks like, as he, as he does that. Um, he's not a quick and reactive guy, and I think that he can get taken advantage of a little bit there, but he is usually in position to make the closeout. He's not a guy that's just going to leave a shooter on the weak side. If he's stuck in the paint, he at least tries to make an attempt to get out there and usually makes a good quality contest to at least bother the shot, even if it's not exactly what you'd like to see. He's also not a huge, what I call habit rate guy. Those are steal and block rates. I kind of combine the two and talk about them together because functionally they work at, in the same way at the college level. So he's not a guy that's going to have huge steal numbers, huge block numbers. He has a 2.3 steal rate, which is good, but not phenomenal. 1.7 block rate, which you'd like to see a little bit higher from a guy that's his size. Um, but he does, I think that that's a lot related to him being a lot more decisive as a, as a defender. He does not, he's conservative. He doesn't gamble a ton. Um, he's a guy who would rather be in the right position and get a hand up than try to gamble for a steal off ball. And I think that, you know, while he doesn't have those high havoc rates that are good indicators for athleticism, I think that his overall defensive profile is still very, very strong. So, 
getting into projection, I think that he is a guy who's going to peak out at a secondary playmaker in an offense. Um, a guy who is not a primary initiator, isn't bringing the ball up a ton, isn't taking a huge usage, but is kind of one of those secondary or tertiary guys that's the second or third best player in an offense. Operates a lot off ball, but can take some possessions as a playmaker. And I think that that's going to be combined with him being probably a two through five switch defender. I think that he's eventually going to be able to play as a small ball five. Um, I think that he's going to be able to switch out onto twos pretty easily. Um, I see him defending guys like, do I think that he can eventually defend guys like Russell Westbrook and, and Damian Lillard? Probably not. He's probably not going to be quick enough there or agile enough, but I think that he could confidently give a good effort against like a James Harden type, um, kind of the bigger two guards or the smaller, quicker threes. I think that he's going to have an easy, easy time um, get or being valuable at that point. Um, so the floor to ceiling outcomes, I think, all kind of depend on what his offensive ceiling looks like. I think that the baseline as a defender is going to be there. He is going to be at least an above average NBA defender because of his size, his IQ on that end, and his ability to uh, kind of stick with things and be very disciplined. I think that he's eventually going to be a very good defender. Um, the offensive end is where things kind of are going to level out. So I think the floor for him is probably as a guy like Evan Turner, where he can be a little bit of a facilitator. He can attack the rim, but maybe that strength that he doesn't really have at full force right now never comes along. He never becomes like a truly elite finisher and the shooting never really comes around. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, provides value as kind of like a bench facilitator but also takes a little bit away from your offense because he's not a guy that needs to be guarded from three and not a guy that is going to be a consistent finisher so I think that's kind of where you're setting the floor but that's a floor of a guy who's a rotation player on a playoff team um it has been now for four years so you know, it's not all bad. I say Evan Turner, and, and people are probably going to cringe at that a little bit because Evan Turner's not a great player. But I think that that's a that's a pretty solid floor, especially in this class. If you're if you're drafting in the top five, uh, median outcome. I think I see him more as kind of like one of those guys who is like a true third guy, um, a guy who is more of a facilitator from the wing, can shoot it a little bit, can finish a little bit, but isn't going to be somebody who's taking a huge number of offensive possessions. Um, guys that I would I would think of here um, would be like a, like a Hato Turkoglu or a Nick Batum, but taller. Um, guys who are going to provide good, consistent value on the defensive end, good, consistent value on the offensive end, but aren't going to be able to give you like that top end, top shelf offensive creation ability and I think the ceiling for him is going to be kind of as like a Joe Johnson type um, a guy who if he is your primary scorer isn't going to be like the most efficient option and I think does put a cap on your offense if he's the number one guy in your in your offense but as a number two or number three where he has somebody to play off of and somebody to create for him a little bit becomes instantly more valuable um, and can be like a number two on a very, very good playoff team. 
So I think Joe Johnson, I think Richard Hamilton there, I think Grant Hill there, um, kind of different levels of the athletic spectrum and, and game there. But Johnson's game, honestly, is who he reminds me most of in terms of aesthetics. You know, isn't a guy who is going to overwhelm you physically, isn't a guy who's going to be like an elite level shot maker, but is good enough in both aspects that he can carry your offense and at least be a significant threat threat and probably multi-time all-star and kind of wrapping up here the reason that I'm so high on him for the Cavs is because you take a Joe Johnson type or a Rip Hamilton type and he's maybe not your guy who is leading you to a title but that's the type of guy that gets you to the playoffs and raises the level to get you into kind of that second tier of, of contenders that can let you then kind of work as, as a front office to leapfrog to contendership, either through trades or free agent signings. Um, I think he's easily one of the best fits for the Cavs roster of anybody in the draft. I think it's him and Barrett, number one, in terms of just seamless transition for that player where there's an easy spot for him and you don't need to carve out a spot with roster moves. Um, he slides in easily as a two or three in the starting lineup next to Chetty. Um, he can take some creation load. And more importantly, he can kind of slowly build towards that high-end ceiling. Um, he's not a guy, or he's not going to be a guy that has to come in and take a ton of possession as a primary initiator right away. You've got Colin Sexton, you've got Jordan Clarkson. Um, they can take that role early on and you can kind of let, um, let Culver develop kind of slowly but surely and kind of like a paint-by-numbers um, offensive load. And I think you couple that, he's an instant impact guy on defense. Then you've got him and Shetty to defend multiple guys. You've probably got the the other team's two best offensive players covered on most nights between him, Chetty, and Tristan Thompson if he's still around. So I, I just think the fit for him is so easy to be able to envision what he's going to be able to do as a rookie and him playing a significant load and being effective within his first few years. Um, maybe he never hits that high-end upside. Maybe he never becomes that elite scorer, but he's at least a competent rotation player that elevates the floor of what the team is going to be. And I think that that type of guy is very valuable. You may not be getting the same start level upside that you would get with like maybe a John Morant or an RJ Barrett, but you're getting a better chance at in four years, having a guy who is productive on whatever this team is going to look like. So I'm super high on Culver and I hope that you are too. Now I hope that you kind of see why I'm so excited about him as a potential fit for the Cavs and as a potential uh, draft value. Um, he's a guy who is probably going to be available anywhere between the three and seven range. Um, hopefully as the NBA draft combine comes and workouts come for his sake, that no longer becomes the case. And he solidifies himself as the number two or number three guy in the class. Um, but I think that he's a guy that should be a definite target for this team as the, as they look towards the draft. So hopefully this gave you a little bit more insight into why I'm so high on Culver and why I continue to preach him as the guy that the Cavs should be looking at if they don't pick top two. Um, 
and, and hopefully you get some good chances to see him and Texas Tech makes a deep NCAA tournament run here. Um, we're going to preview the NCAA tournament here in a couple days. Hopefully that podcast, again, should be out on Wednesday. Um, it'll definitely be out by the time that the first games uh, kick off on Thursday. And uh, no official guest yet, but we will be having somebody from the draft community uh, come in, um, so it'll be a little bit of a surprise who we get to talk to here, and um, hopefully we get a good conversation and, and we can kind of approach not only previewing um, what to be looking for as you watch the NCAA tournament, but how to watch the NCAA tournament in a productive way that helps you understand what draft guys are going to look like. Um, so we'll be back with that later in the week. Hope you've enjoyed this talk about Jarrett Culver and uh, we will see you next time.